platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Welcome everyone to BizTalk. I'm Michael Wong. Well, 2024 marks the 60th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between China and France. Now, bilateral trade has grown by more than 800 times in nominal terms since diplomatic ties were established, from around 100 million U.S. dollars in 1964 to over 80 billion dollars in 2022. Now, here on BizTalk, we'll be speaking to several French companies doing business here in China to get a better sense of how the economic and business relationship has evolved between the two countries as they celebrate six decades of official ties. Our guest today is Gary Rosen, CEO of Greater China at French hospitality giant Accor Group. Accor has a network of around 5,500 hotels with over 800,000 guest rooms around the world. Now, as of the end of 2023, Accor had nearly 650 hotels in China with plans to expand its offerings in the Chinese market. Gary, welcome to the program. Thank Thanks, you so much Michael. for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. So, Gary, what are your observations in terms of how this economic relationship has played out between China and France in these six decades of diplomatic relations? And what's your outlook going forward for the business and economic ties between China and France? Well, I think the starting point really is you, you see how the two countries work together and they really make an effort to work together. Mm. And that comes alive in the business community. Whether you look at different sectors, whether you're looking at the fashion world, whether you're looking at retail, whether you're looking at beauty, whether you're looking at wine, the growth for both companies and especially that foreign direct investment into China, mm. you wouldn't have that if you didn't have such strong ties over the last 60 years. And certainly those are going to continue moving forward. In our world also, in the world of hospitality, the idea of and this trust that's been built between a French company and multiple Chinese companies to make a much wider proposition and growing the hospitality sector in China. That couldn't be done if you didn't have great relations and diplomatic relations and the recognition by the two countries and the governments of two countries. Mm. I think for in our world, you know, and, and for the future, you, you were at a new normal, you know, now. but that new normal includes many French companies looking at their increasing their direct foreign investment many French companies recognizing that China is an important part of their growth around the world, but recognition, the role that the Chinese guest and consumer plays, as we were talking earlier. The future is a bright one. The strength of the relationship only makes it that much brighter. And I think we've entered into a, into a recognition that, you know, when you look at these two countries together, you have a one plus one equals 10 outcome. That's, a, that's my personal point of view. But also, it's there in terms of validity, in terms of data. China and France designating 2024 as a year of culture and tourism between the two countries as a French hospitality uh, group, as one of the world's largest hospitality groups. What is Accor doing to really promote and boost culture and tourism exchanges between China and France? It is. I, I mean, you have to admit, and those numbers, by the way, are staggering. It's mm. amazing how much growth. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would say for us, it, it really comes down to starting everything from really from the idea from the heart and also from experience. Yeah. As a hospitality group, that's what we're all about. I think what's one of the most exciting things also is the Olympics. Yes. And they're taking place in Paris. In Paris, yes. yes. So that in itself also is a great opportunity which to celebrate. And we're doing that a lot with our most loyal guests through our Accor Live Limitless loyalty program, uh, with our owning partners. 
partners. And so we will be having a lot of folks being able to do and go over and participate in the Olympics yeah. as part of ACOR because ACOR is an official sponsor, but also developing a lot of grassroots uh, experiences as well linked to the 60th anniversary of the diplomatic relations, but also having this halo effect of the, of the Olympics. So bringing grassroots, communities, kids, adults, because that's when you really bring things to yeah, life. Absolutely. And how do we get more Chinese tourists uh, to France, Gary? Because pre-pandemic, we had about 2.2 million Chinese tourists mm -hmm. heading to France, generating about 3.5 billion euros in revenue uh, for the French economy. And Chinese outbound tourists pre-pandemic, they mm -hmm. were such a large group. Huge. Where do we stand right now in terms of the recovery for Chinese outbound tourists, and especially going to France? Well, it's interesting because a couple of things. You, you're absolutely right. 2019, it was a stellar year for outbound. You had 170 million outbound tourists coming from China going abroad. Mm. The number is returning. By the end of 2024, you'll probably see closer to about 155 million, so just slightly down from 2019. But when you think about it, 155 million is a staggering number. Yeah. Um, what's so wonderful and what we're very, obviously, very uh, excited about is when you look at Chinese tourists today, um, France is still the number three place that they want to go to in terms of first within traveling closer to home, so within North Asia. But I think what's also very interesting is more and more people, as they're looking at cultural le relevance, when they're looking at experiences, so many people have discovered wine country. Mm. And they're also, even back to your earlier question, the relationship, for example, between Bordeaux, Champagne country in, in, in France, and Ningxia here in, in China. Yes. This exchange of wine and this exchange of study and this exchange of growing beautiful vineyards. Yeah. That's another reason why so many people still enjoy going to back to Paris. Yeah. Uh, cultural, uh, certainly the idea of, of uh, beautiful landmarks, shopping, food, and then certainly uh, beautiful countrysides and wine, yeah. et cetera. So that's outbound tourism. How's Correct. business here in China, Gary? We saw this boom in domestic travel uh, in terms of domestic leisure, domestic um, uh, demand here in China post COVID. Yeah. How is that demand translating uh, looking like for a core group? Planning during that time of COVID to have technology built locally, loyalty built locally, has really put us in a real different footing. We really have the spirit of entrepreneurship, mm. so and that's how we approach it. And we are different in our thinking. As a European-based company, we think a little differently. Yeah. Our business has returned to the levels, and in many cases surpassed levels of 2019, mm. when you think about actually the results of our current hotels. The other thing is, is for us, you know, our company is about growth as well. We will so we have signed close to 150 new hotels in 2023 that will open over the course of the next few years. Mm. That's significant growth. Uh, that has put us at the front of in terms of uh, global hospitality uh, for players here in China. And um, but I think you know we're very in in our approach, Michael. We realize that you can in China, you can't go at it alone. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. And so what we've re recognized is you do need to have local partners that you work with. And that's a part of how you think about your growth strategy mm. um, in terms of your guest and but also your footprint. Yeah. And so we've been able to do that. We have incredible relationship that we built quite a few years ago with Waju. Mm -hmm. um, and they are they have a master franchise for several of our of our brands, Ibis, uh, Ibis Styles and McCure. The other is how we grow organically, especially in the world of luxury and, and in lifestyle. Mm. For us in particular, there, you know, China offers a lot of opportunity. There's volume growth, and then there's growth where you have to learn and be able to also nurture your own brand's growth. And that's particularly why in this area we focus, particularly when you think about premium and luxury, we have that growth. And there's never been for us so much growth and opportunity. We have so much demand for our Fairmont brand.
Yeah. So much demand going on for raffles. Luxury and high-end luxury is alive and kicking in yeah. a big way. In addition to all the other segments that are growing. Yeah. I, I am so optimistic about what 2024 is going to offer just by seeing the results of 2023. Great. Gary, thank you uh, so much for your time. Thank you. With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. And welcome back to BizTalk and our conversation on 60 years of diplomatic ties between China and France. It's the largest bank in France. Global banking giant BNP Paribas aimed to establish a strong presence in the China market after the country began its reform and opening up push. Now, according to BNP, after opening up a representative office right here in Beijing in 1980, it became the first Western bank established in the People's Republic. And since then, it hasn't looked back. The group now has a strong presence in China with one of the most comprehensive suites of products and services for a foreign bank in the country. Joining me now is C.G. Lai, CEO of BNP Paribas China. C.G., welcome to the program and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, C.G., I want to get your take first on the economic, on the commercial and financial relationship between China and France as the two countries, of course, mark 60 years of diplomatic relations in 2024. Okay. Um, actually, I, I want to bring up a, one of the most important points is, I think between China and France, and also obviously for the bank included, we have a shared global view, in particular in the area of climate change. I think the China and the France were the, obviously the very big supporter for the climate, uh, climate change back in the 2014. This is one. The second one is, when you look back for the last 60 years, the, the French companies, the multinational company in China, have participated in numerous of the building up of the local economy, okay? And uh, France also has a very strong industrial policy and is also a very big trading nation in the world. So uh, I think in this many of the regard, we share a common value and a background in trying to promote the real economy, uh, not only in, in France and also in China. So yeah. these are the key points I like to remind the people of. Mm. And CG, I'll ask you about in terms of how finance can drive climate change in just a second. But uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the bank's history here in China first. So BNP Paribas, the bank was determined to do business here in China following, of course, the country's reform and opening up. And former BNP chairman Pierre Ledeau was the first high-level European banker to actually visit the Chinese capital. So walk us through a little bit more the group's journey, its story here in China since it first opened an office uh, in Beijing in 1980. 
Uh, we established our representative office in Beijing back in 1980. Then in 1992, we were the first one. As a matter of fact, BMP created a lot of the first one in China among the foreign financial investors. We were the first one to build a joint venture with ICBC. We set up a company called International Bank of Shanghai and Paris. So that was back in 1992, and the 2003, we became the sole uh, uh, invested uh, foreign banks here in China, and we have been China going through a couple of changes, but what it hasn't changed and throughout all these changes, we remain very committed to China. Along the way, from the 1980 till now, what is probably very obvious was the establishment of a bank here. But beyond that, we have invested in many of the joint venture in the financial sector with the various stakeholders in China. Yeah, so quite a robust relationship、uh, between BNP and, of course,、uh, the China market. But in terms of the specific milestones, CG, in your four decades plus here in the Chinese market, walk us through some of your most、uh, significant ones. Well, there are many. There are many、uh, because you know. I mean, we were the first one to get the underwriting license. We we were the first one to get the custodian license. But if I need to ascribe to one key milestone, I will attribute to that back in the 2011, when the company announced the Remini internationalization and first implemented in Hong Kong. I think this is a very key milestone for for the fact that the country is one of the biggest trading partner. With more than 120 countries in the world, and then the BMP is an equally international bank. When you see the movement of these changes and whatever the measure that have come after that, is to reinforce the internationalization, which is critical for this country and is also critical for us because you know, as an international bank, we are trying to promote international cooperation and also the trade, you know, benefiting both the China and the France and also the EU. So we see that as probably the most probably、uh, overlooked milestone, as might be cited by the people. Yeah, and of course, I think RMB internationalization that would also be a key part of China's efforts to continue to integrate with the global economy, the global financial market system.、Uh, in terms of the evolution of China's financial opening up, its capital market reforms, what's your perspective on that? And as you look forward, what kind of opportunities do you see for BNP as the country's capital markets continue to evolve? CG, I think the 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 country has been trying to opening up the financial market in a measured way. I mean, I, this is critical because you know we are taking in a lot of the lessons we learned in the in the other parts of the world. What I see is we have been opening up a lot of the、uh, the measures over the last one decade. I think.、Uh, What is important is we continue to open up, but what is equally important is as we go back and look what we have opened to see whether we have been maximizing or leverage those opening, and it is quite important because sometimes I, I felt、uh, the Chinese has done many many of the opening up, but what is important is we need to maximize and leverage to see where we can calibrating some of the opening to achieve the best results. Yeah. Sg, of course, earlier you mentioned climate change.、Uh, this, of course, is a common goal between China and France.、Uh, France,、uh, leader in renewable energy, China as well, and BNP. You are a global leader when it comes to sustainable finance. So, how does the group view, in particular, the implications, the potential, I would say, of China's green finance market and what you can do here? 
As a matter of fact, you know, they are the new one and the old one. Okay? For the new one, obviously, is now recognized that China is the leader in the EV car in many of the renewable energy sector. This is something we are very happy as a, as a French bank working here in China to work into, into that area. But one also have to remember, China has a very big legacy industry that requires the transitional financing. I think this is the part that got often overlooked. I think you know, our, our job is not only to promote the EV, the new, uh, the, the new ones into France and into the rest of the Europe, but also at the same time to help the legacy and the established industries here to go for the transition, which yeah. is critical. Yeah, well. I think absolutely that's a critical point. We see, of course, uh, the surge in electric vehicles and solar panels, for example. But how do legacy industries like uh, you just mentioned, how do they become greener? Uh, so that, I think, is definitely uh, an area of opportunity. Uh, but there have been pessimistic headlines, uh, CG, of course, about the Chinese economy in the global media. How does the group think about its long-term presence in China, as well as the long-term potential of the Chinese economy? You know, obviously, uh, you know, I cannot speak for the media who reports about the China. But one thing I'm very sure, we have been building our presence here back in the 1980, and we have... Uh, a, a very strong investment into the China. So the group has formulated its own judgment and the view about China. Now, I, I think that sometimes the best the, the, the best way to direct this question is to look at the how much and how long we have been investing in China and the continuation of the investment in China. That will be one of the biggest self-evidence of what we think about China. Mm. And when you think about the near to medium term then, CG, what do you think are your top three priorities here in the Chinese market? I think the top priority is, you know, to maintain our status. I'm sorry, I have to refer back to, to our bank, to, to maintain our status as one of the leading EU bank here. But the second part, I think in the otherwise difficult environment, I think we're trying to be the connect and the bridge between the between the China and the rest of the world, as I said. China is the biggest trading partner to the rest of the world. And then the BNP Paribas has a global networking. And then there are so many new things coming out from China, the new industry and everything. Our job is to serve our clients both onshore and offshore, both the Chinese clients and the, and the EU clients. And I think this will be critical to navigate all of us into, uh, into a new world. Yeah. So then, CG, how does uh, BNP Paribas see the trajectory of China-France economic relations as it embarks on this new decade uh, of diplomatic ties? And looking ahead, what specific sectors do you see as the most promising for French investment here in China? I think that the first part of the next five to ten years, you know, France is a leading country in the EU. So it is critically that China maintain a very constant and high-level dialogue with, with France. And this is one. And French... Uh, France had also can be an advisor for China to work their way through the EU. I think this is critical as the Chinese industry and the financial industry are going through their changes, a lot more outward looking, and the Europe has been one of the biggest stars. I think you know for the very first time, the Chinese also will have to do you a know, sort of seeking advice and consultation from the French to see how we can work better. I think this is critically important as the China going increasingly our looking. As far as we are concerned, I think that the French company who have already built a very strong industrial base here in China, they are, have built 
into and integrated into the supply chain here. I think the Chinese, uh, the French company in China will continue to grow very strong. And I, I have really no doubt they are now also integrated into the new industry that the Chinese are building, which will be going outward. Okay, CG, many thanks for your time. CG Lai, CEO of BMP Paribas China. Thank you. And stay with us. When we come back, we'll speak with the largest 100% foreign-owned property and casualty insurer in the Chinese market, AXA Tianping, to get its perspectives on ties between China and France. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. Welcome back. China is now home to the second largest insurance market in the world. French insurance giant AXA Group has been serving customers here in China for a quarter century now. AXA Tianping is the group's property and casualty company in the Chinese market and is the largest 100% foreign-owned PNC insurer here in China. My next guest is Kevin Chor, CEO of AXA Tianping. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Pleasure is mine. So, Hello. Kevin, uh, since AXA first uh, entered the Chinese mainland market 25 years ago, what would you say are some of the most notable achievements for the group? Throughout the 25 years we've been in China, we've been able to witness firsthand the spectacular growth of the country. Persistent, continuous rising living and standards, continuous building of infrastructure, both fiscal and digital, and the more recent commitment to climate change as well as the rise of industries uh, becoming world-leading on many fronts. And all of which I, I believe have created numerous opportunities for firms like AXA. Uh, insurers by default are facilitated to the real economy and acting as safety net for individuals and corporates alike. So we cherish these opportunities. Uh, for AXA Tianping in particular, we are particularly proud to be amongst the largest foreign insurers in China. We are very proud to have been able to develop our electric vehicles um, business throughout the past two years, growing that more than twofold. Very proud to have been able to participate in numerous uh, climate-related projects, insurance projects across the country, and very proud to have been able to grow massively our health portfolio, covering mass market to the more affluent truly bring protection uh, to the public. Yeah. And speaking of those opportunities, Kevin, how do you think about your growth potential? How does AXA think about not just the growth potential, but then the strategy going forward in, again, what is now the second largest insurance market in the world? And how important are local partnerships uh, for AXA, Kevin? 
I believe there are two keys to success for Exatian Ping going forward in China. The first will be about anchoring our business principles, our business strategies against the ESG construct, right? On the E front, the environmental front, that will take us becoming more active and more proactive in covering um, green-related insurance, including uh, electric vehicle motor insurance and including climate-related projects. On the S social front, um, we, 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 we are very proud to, to have been able to, in addition to building our individual retail health business, be able to participate in numerous public-private protection schemes across the country, bring protection to the to the wider mass. The second key to success will be our move to become even more active in participating in and in facilitating insurance transactions between China and the rest of the world, which I believe will grow strongly in years to come as the Chinese insurance market gain more influence on the world stage and as more Chinese firms across various industries expand their footprint globally. Yeah. And Kevin, we, of course, see a rapidly evolving insurance market here in China. How is Access Tianping thinking about its service offering here in this market and meeting the growing expectations of the Chinese customer? Yes, in the next few years, we'll continue to leverage our global expertise in bringing innovations through various product lines to support the real economy. Electric vehicles, motor insurance, climate-related insurance projects, just to name a couple of examples. We'll continue to assist Chinese firms to expand the global footprint, notably through the Belt and Road Initiative. Last but not least, we'll continue to invest into our health business, bringing to life our payer-to-partner strategy. All right. So it seems like a lot of opportunities ahead for Axitim being here in the China market. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Kevin Shore, CEO of AXA Tianping. Thank you. Now, besides hospitality, banking, finance, and insurance, the economic and people-to-people -people ties between China and France have been robust since the establishment of diplomatic ties in 1964. Companies from the two countries have strong partnerships in many other areas. For example, in aviation, in energy, luxury, infrastructure, and even working together to support economic development in a third country. Now, as China and France step into the next decade of cooperation, the potential for deeper economic ties and cultural understanding remains vast. And that's going to do it for this edition of BizTalk here on CGTN. Thanks for joining us as we reflect on 60 years of diplomatic ties between China and France. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. We'll see you again next time.